It's episode 141 of Making It. I'm Bob Claggett, here with David Picciuto. Hi, Bob Claggett. Hi, David Picciuto. How are you? Very good. This is uh, this is take two. Take two. We already c- recorded this intro, but we're going to do it again. We also have yes. Jimmy Duresta. Hey. 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 So, Dave, everything sorted? Yeah, lots of computer problems this morning, and uh, I, th- I think we're, we're up and running, so the... The recorder seems to be working this time. That sounds right like on. a topic. I mean, it doesn't have to be today's topic since we had a little bit. The idea of technical failure. How do we Ooh. handle technical failure? Ooh. What do you do if everything just shuts off on you? Mm. Take a nap. <laughs> Start the podcast <laughs> three hours later. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. Actually, yeah, that might be a good topic. We can, yeah. Well, in between our first attempt today and now, you've had some stuff happen in your shop, right? Yes. Tell us about that. Yes, they laid down the carpet today, and it looks great. They were very worried that there were going to be gaps in the in the carpet squares because the floor is very uneven, and uh, the the carpet guy was was very skeptical. And I was like, let's just go with it, do our best, and um, and it came out pretty good. It you can see some of the seams, um, but it it it's you have to look for it. It's, it it's not like, noticeable. The floor looks like gray cement. Yeah, it it does. It does. Uh and I got the uh got the ceiling tile in there. I got the lights. Well, I got the ceiling grid in there. The tiles are not in yet. They'll be in, in a couple weeks. The lights are in, the walls are painted, the electrical for the most part is done. I just need to do the floor outlets, which might happen tonight or tomorrow. And then we got trim. Um but now that the carpet's in, I can start moving a couple tools in there, which makes me really, really happy because everything is just shoved in in the car garage and it's a it's a mess and i can't find anything and it's frustrating Mm. hey you guys remember you guys remember this morning when we started and i told you a funny story about carpet do you guys want to hear that story again yes so there's a story (laughs) (laughs) that we recorded that's really gross (laughs) i'm gonna i'm gonna turn my headphones off we could just say no and just put it on the after show you want to do that later no, go ahead. It was gross. It's one of your stories. Go ahead. Well, when I was a teenager, when I was a young teenager, we were like anywhere between 14 to 15 years old, me and a group of my friends. We, we built a clubhouse in my backyard. It was like a proper building. It was like a, it was like a tool shed, but we hung out in there. And we had a secret entrance from the neighbor's yard, so my mother never knew. We would cut out of school and come into the clubhouse from my neighbor's yard. My mother never knew. We would hide in there and smoke oh, cigarettes and stuff. New details. And we didn't yep. get that earlier. <laughs> I got to make it better so you guys are interested. <laughs> and one, and so one of the days, there's like this small office building in the neighborhood, and they threw out this beautiful shag carpet. It was like gray shag carpet. From all appearances, it looked like there was nothing wrong with it. So we took it and we carpeted the whole inside of the clubhouse. And it wasn't until like we had this one section that we – that's why you guys might say, like, why didn't you know this? But we got this one section and we put it down on the floor and then we realized that it was this thick kind of Austin Powers thick like one inch shag carpet. The one section was completely loaded with toenails because the place <laughs> that we stole it from was a podiatrist. I oh, might have told this story before because so I remember gross. thinking about it. You told, I uh, I told. told it. I've heard it twice today, which is fantastic. <laughs> I might have said it another time. Like, <laughs> so, I don't think we talked about this on the show. Yeah, I don't think but so either. We, like, it was a place where like, we all like kissed our first girl and i'm i mean i'm not even joking it was like it was like a club it was like a guy's clubhouse and then when we turned like 15 we we put a whole extension on it we, we had a little bar in it and we huh. grew illegal plants in there it was a lot of fun it was a good that's kid crazy. place you said something that's a little confusing to me 
Yeah. You said beautiful shag carpet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking, this is 1983. Okay. When we talk, so. At okay. the time, it was beautiful for 1983. Yeah. No, because there were sections of it that like sat under someone's desk. It was completely unused, or at least unworn, I should say. So that was like our first impression. We're like, wow, this looks like it's brand new. And then when we started unrolling it and cutting section, it was a, we put it on the walls and the ceiling, by the way. It wasn't just the floor. Super so like, cool. This, Whoa. Super cool. <laughs> yeah. this thing was like, it was like uh, the inside of like a van, you know, like a 1970s like Chevy Chevy van. You know, like if this van's a rock and don't bother yeah. rocking, the inside of this clubhouse looked like that. All I heard toenails. That's all I heard. That's yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yep. So we we just picked all the toenails out. <laughs> Gross, hmm. dude. Cool. So, but your, so, your carpet's too small to hide toenails. So that's a good thing. Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. Bring it back to the shop carpet. <laughs> Bringing it back. Yeah. <laughs> Well, anyway, <laughs> so gross. <laughs> yeah. Hey, sometimes uh, you get a dud when you pick the garbage. What can I say? I just put out a video making uh, wedding rings that went live oh, a couple cool. hours ago in between computer problems. Nice. So that video is up now. I made them in uh, segmented pieces, kind of like uh, like what a wood turner would do. And uh, so that's that's up and seems to be getting a, a nice warm reception. Anytime I put Kelly in the video, I get I get nice comments. Oh yeah. So I know you've made several different types of rings and you've talked about this one before, like the way that you're going to do this. And I haven't watched the video yet, but uh, did you find anything about this process that worked better, worked worse than other ones or? Uh, Well, I, I, what I wanted to do since I, since um, it's eight segmented pieces, I wanted to use a hose clamp to kind of glue everything together because I see that done with faces and like that Frank Howarth and Kyle Toth, they do that and it works great. Uh, the, this was too small, so I ended up just like super gluing each piece up by piece, and um, it's. I wouldn't say these rings are any different than the veneer rings as far as strength or durability. It's just a different process. There's a lot of glue in there because there's a lot of pieces, hmm. um, so it's it's kind of hard to explain but there's there's a middle layer which is one piece and then the two outside layers each have eight pieces so there's 17 pieces total in each ring which equals a lot of glue and i think it gets its strength from from all that glue mm. gotcha yeah. i wonder if there is there anything this is maybe way off topic um is there any sort of a something that could penetrate wood and then harden. I know like things like Danish oil, when you wipe them on, they go into the grain and then they harden, making, mm-hmm. they, you know, they harden the surface. But if you had two pieces, like in that case, two pieces together, is there something that you could soak down in between that would kind of carry over a connection from one piece of wood to another? There's um, Scott Meek, the, the plane maker, has made some planes before, wood, wood hand planes, where he would send them off. And there would be some sort of process that removed all the air and water from the wood and then infused it with resin. So there was resin oh. that went all the way in. And I think there's some sort of, I don't, I don't know what the process is. I'm, I'm sure there's some sort of like pressure cooker type thing to get to, to replace all the air with, with epoxy or resin. Huh. I mean, um, but that could be one way. Yeah. I don't know if Jimmy has any other ideas to harden the wood. No, well, you, you could put it in a pressure pot and... It'll force it into the mm. into the wood. Mm. You know, they, they sell the scales for knives, and they're 
I don't know the proper terminology, but they're infused with resin. And it, they also put dye in it, so you might buy a piece of burly wood that has like a blue hue to it because it's infused with like a blue, a blue dyed resin. Mm-hmm. You see that a lot, a lot of uh, knife knife shows, and a lot of knife guys have that stuff. Gotcha. I, I think I've talked about this before, but since it's kind of related, um, somebody told me one time about a, a technique for making guitar necks. I think it's mostly necks, but you could do it for whatever. Called roasted maple. Have we talked about this before? We talked about it, but I totally forget what the process is. <clears throat> so there's um, uh, usually one of the big problems with making guitar necks is that over time, you know, the wood will change shape, and that's a bad thing. Um, <clears throat> and there's a bunch of different ways to stabilize the necks, but somebody was telling me about this process for heating maple so that the you know the syrup or whatever that's actually in the tree that typically comes out as syrup, they they bake it in a certain way or roast it in a certain way that caramelizes the stuff inside the wood, and so it basically locks the wood into a position that will never change. Oh, and so they do that you know at the raw um, stage of things before it's worked on, and then when you cut it down, you basically have wood that won't move. And now I don't know how that affects. The, the vibration and the movement that you want in wood for a guitar, I, I don't have any idea. But I thought it was a really interesting approach to, like, use a pro, you know, like, something about the wood itself to help stabilize it. Seemed pretty cool. Yeah. But he was basically just telling me the process. I don't know of anybody who's actually done it to know, you know, firsthand experience how well it works, but still pretty cool. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, way off topic. Jimmy, way what are you up to? I am Kyle's here. Kyle from Illinois, RR Builders. He's here and he's building. The backyard's got thousands of pieces of wood and piles everywhere. It's awesome. pretty incredible. So today he might have one or two walls up since we first spoke this morning. That's exciting. Said, what do you think? He's like, oh yeah, I'll have one of the walls up today, which is so <laughs> exciting. Yeah. And, uh, That's crazy. It's crazy. I said, how long are you going to be here? He goes, uh, he goes, depending upon weather, he goes, we could be here as long as two weeks, which I was really surprised. I thought he was going to be here for like a day or two, but he's got a lot of work to do. They got to put a roof on and stuff. And he keeps warning me. He goes, dude, this is going to be really tall. He goes, I, He's like pointing at trees. I got a lot of tall trees in my property. He's like, it's going to be like as tall as that tree. He goes, this is going to look like a church because I'm just warning you. Because my my peak is also rather pointy. We have a uh, we looked at a lot of European buildings and we we chose a, a pretty steep pitch, a twelve pitch, and so this building is going to look really kind of. It's almost going to look nautical. It's going to be all black. The whole exterior is going to be black. All the window frames going to be black. The roof's black. Standing seam metal black. So it's it's going to look pretty cool. It'll look like kind of a New Englandy kind of building. Hmm. So it's actually happening. It's crazy. It's so yeah, congrats. So exciting. Thank the, you. The height there uh, for the roof was that like is that a practical thing at all? Like, do you have a reason for that, or is it just you were looking for a certain look for the two, building? Two stories. Just try and get two clean stories. So the ground the ground floor is going to have a sixteen foot high <laughs> ceiling, and then the second story to have a practical ceiling with a scissor truss, so that we could have some practically usable space. Oh. We had to kind of make the and then there's a limit. There's a height limit in my area. I don't have too many guidelines to go by in this neighborhood where we don't have practical we don't have zoning basically but there are some guidelines and the height to peak is 34 feet so we're going to be right at 34 feet hmm. wow it's exciting that's awesome man. it's funny when you hire other people to do work for you and you just assume that oh that's only going to take a few hours or a couple days and then it's <laughs> like you don't know the process and it actually takes 
many, many man hours. Well, it's Kyle and one other person, Kyle and Greg, and, and they knock it out of the park every week on Instagram. So I'm like, dude, this is just like an Instagram story. Like, when are you going to be done? Going to be done at six? <laughs> <laughs> no, he could spend his. He could spend the month here. I don't care. I love Kyle. So it's exciting. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Very exciting. Thank you. Very cool. Well, um, let's see. What have I been up to? This weekend, I went to a mini maker fair in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, oh, Atlanta was also this weekend, no? Yeah, Atlanta was this weekend. It's like the first year in several years that I haven't gone to the Atlanta one. Uh, that was my local one, and now Louisville is my local. So went there, and um, it was the first mini fair I'd been to in a while. And so it was it was interesting to remember like how small some of them can be, you know, because we're used to going to the big ones. And uh, it, it was cool, though. I There were only a couple of individual people that were like, like maker people most of it was schools and there's a science Mm. museum you know it was like kind of organizations which is fine uh there were a lot of things for the kids to do a lot of hands-on activities you know put together by those different organizations and that was good but it was a little strange not to see more like i'm just a person who makes you know whatever like individual things because that's so big at some of the other fairs so hopefully Hopefully next year there'll be some more individuals there and maybe it'll spread out a little bit. It's the first time I've been to this one too, so I don't know if it's smaller or bigger than it was in previous years. I don't really know, but um, let's see. What else have I been doing? I made a guitar stand. That'll be out this week, hopefully. Um, Got some cool features on it. Well, thanks. It was interesting. It was like one of those where I was working on another project. I got stuck because of some material that I had to order. And so I had basically two days and thought, like, what can I make quickly and, you know, some to use some new thing? <laughs> what are you doing, Jimmy? <laughs> what, what do you hear? What do you say? I see you smiling and then your camera is getting darker and lighter and darker and lighter. So I thought you were like playing with some setting, but you're just Oh, you smiling. know what I'm doing? No, no, honestly, no, the ca- it's just the light. My camera is so weird. The minute I move, this is, I'm always usually backlit, so I, that, uh, that I'm not conscious of, but I was looking at McMaster Car. So <laughs> it gets me excited when I'm looking at McMaster Car. <laughs> it makes sorry. me smile. So many times. Oh, are we of doing bolts. a podcast? Yeah. Were we doing a podcast? I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> but uh, yeah, anyway, I made this little guitar stand, and it's like it folds up. Um, it was the first time I had made uh, something using the wood taps from Andy Klein and, and, uh, Mark Spagnola. And so that was kind of cool to use those for the first time. They worked great. Made it out of solid walnut, got some brass pieces I had to kind of make to make it work. So it was cool. I learned a lot in doing it. So it was a nice little project. Nice. So that's cool. Yeah. That's what I've been I up just, to. It's funny. Much. While we were talking just this minute, I got an email from Mark Spagnola. He told <laughs> me I got I got a, a little of, uh, income on my affiliate link for the taps. Oh, nice. Yeah, he just sent me a $60. Thank you, Mark. Sweet. <laughs> so I can only <laughs> assume now that you have a guitar stand that you're going to play guitar a lot more. <laughs> um, he has a great place to hang his jacket now. Feel, yeah, <laughs> yeah. feel, feel free to assume that all you want to. But I would sure, love to, sure. man. I mean, honestly, it was... It was kind of cool because I needed to take some pictures, you know, and I had to make sure it worked. So I had to get a guitar out of a case for the first time since I've moved. Um, <laughs> and so I got one guitar out and set it on there. I'm like, cool, that works. I should try it with all the guitars just as an excuse to get them out. So it was kind of cool to get them all out, 
you know, play them a little bit, just not plugged in and definitely made me want to play some more, but I don't know when I'll be able to make that a priority. So one of these Mm -hmm. days I will. One of these days. One of these days. Uh, but that's what I've been up to pretty much shops coming together. We're still building it out. Still, you know, things happening with lighting and power here and there and stuff like that. But it's, uh, it's definitely way more usable than it was a few weeks ago. So I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah. So what are we going to talk about? It's a subject that we've been avoiding for years. And I think it's time we talk about it. Tacos. No. Hey, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Jimmy, you're fired. Sorry. Oh. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You sold our name to NBC, so. No! Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you maybe, guys were in on it every step of the way. Maybe we should yeah. talk about that. <laughs> that's that's Wait, out there now, right? Can we talk about there. that? We can talk about it. Let's, let's, we'll, I haven't we'll heard briefly a word from talk them. I think it. I got fired. I think I, I'm not even in any news articles. Oh. They leave me out of all the news clippings so far that I've seen. Give us the lowdown, Jimmy. Uh, the show that I went to do in California was a show for NBC called The Handmade Project. And before they actually hired me, I didn't know if I was going to be on or not. I got a call from the producers and they're like, hey, we've been kicking around new names. And I'm like, oh, great. They want me to brainstorm new names. They really entrust my opinion. And they go, well, the only the name we keep coming up with is making it. I'm like, oh yeah, that's the name of my pu- podcast. <laughs> wait, wait a second. I go, that is a great name. I use it for my pu- podcast. <laughs> and they go, yeah, we uh, yeah we want to we want to buy it from you. And I don't know if it's appropriate to say the numbers. All I'll say is that the numbers just weren't enough at the end of the day. And they offered us a number which the three of us agreed was too low. And then we said, this is the number. And it was not a million. I'll put it to you that way. But we were very fair. We should we have said, gone for is, a million. From the number we gave, nothing would have mattered. So I said, we went back to them with a number, which wasn't a lot of money. I mean, certainly wasn't. it certainly wasn't millions of dollars, and it wasn't tens of thousands of dollars. Oh, maybe it was. Yeah, maybe it was. Give you that much. And they said, uh, that's too much. And we said, well, we're not, we'll, we don't even want to sell the name. But it's not even something we want to do. So I don't care what you say. And they're like, well, how about this? And I'm like, the number we said is the number that we would draw the line in the sand. That's the number that we would be willing to rebrand everything. You know, the work would mostly be on you two guys. So I said, no, this is the number we want and that's it. And they, every conversation was slightly veiled with it. You know, you guys don't have a trademark. We can just take it anyway. The only reason we're dealing with you is, you know, because you're associated with the show. And I was talking to lawyers at this point, not the producers of the show. The lawyers are heartless. They don't. They don't care. And uh, so uh, after much back and forth, we all three of us agreed, let them use the name. The show might come and go, but we'll still be here. We've been here for four years. We're not going anywhere. Oh, three years. We're going up on a three-year anniversary, right? Oh, oh, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. uh, Both parties agreed to use the name. Yeah. That's it. We just said, you guys use it. We'll use it. We don't want any money. They were essentially offering us money to not use it ever Mm -hmm. so that it wouldn't be... But. We still pop up at the top of the Google search. A friend of mine said it's going to be hard for them to undo that. Uh, Who knows? I guess it's just a matter of if everybody listening constantly Googles making it with Jim, Bob, and Dave, (laughs) stay at the top of the Google list. (laughs) Well, it's it's uh, it's a lot more complicated than that. It's links that it's backlinks, links that go to our site, links that go to their site. It's the, the weight of those links that are linking to ours. It's complicated. Yeah. Because you know what happened the other day? I was Googling myself to see if anybody updated my Wikipedia and I Googled it. I have a couple of fans that actually update my Wikipedia 
accurately. And so I, I went and I checked it. The, but as I Googled my name, of course, the search, it's usually how much is Jimmy worth? Is Jimmy married? Taylor Forrest? Nick Offerman? Those are the, like the top four searches that are associated with my name. The top three or four searches were like, Jimmy, the rest of the TV show. Is Jimmy working with Nick Offerman? What's the name of the TV show? And those are like the new searches that pop up at the top, or at least they did about a week ago. So anyway, so they're going to use the name making it. We agreed. They signed a little something that said, you know, they're okay with us using it, of course, and that they're not going to try and take it away from us when the show becomes massively popular. And so we're going to just coexist and we did not accept any money. So, yeah. And our our thought process is that maybe we'll get some traffic from it. Maybe not, but everybody's happy. Yeah. Yeah. And then we don't have to do anything. And the name making it existed before we came along with it. I actually sold the name of the show making it to HDTV in 2005 and that show was renamed hammered. So the show making it. And then if you Google making it, there was a show, but the guy from American wealth in London, David Naughton, he had a show called making it and a song called making it in like 1980, 82, 83. So it's, it's not a brand new concept, but it was appropriate when we decided to use it and they think it's appropriate. So they decided to use it. (laughs) (laughs) It'll be fine. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. What It'll could be fine. possibly go wrong. Yeah. So I'm on two shows <laughs> called Making It. So from now on, my name is going to be called Jimmy Two Shows. Ah, oh, Jimmy Two Shows. Yes, I like that. <laughs> yes, I, I, I like that character in Goodfellas. That's funny. Do you know what Jimmy Jimmy Two Shows is a joke? And Nick called me that as a joke. But when we had Hammered, my brother John got a, he had the ability to do dramatic and comedy, even though we were doing this reality show on on HGTV. And so John was able to land the show, and it was the show where John met Nick Offerman. It's how Nick and I personally became friends, through a show called American Body Shop. But John had Hammered at the same time as American Body Shop, and he made everybody on the staff of, of Hammered call him Johnny Two Shows. So he walked around like with his chest puffed out, and he said, um, from now on, I want everybody to call me Johnny Two Shows. And so it was a funny joke, because John would say, I'm Johnny Two Shows on the set of American Body Shop, which I never went to. But then when we were dealing with this name thing, Nick did a callback from eight years ago and texted me. It was 10 years ago. And he texted me. He goes, now you can call yourself Jimmy Two Shows. So it was a callback to my brother walking around peacocking that he has two TV shows. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. So that's, that's the story there. And the show making it is uh, – actually, we're doing the show making it right now. No, but the show making it on NBC is going to be out in January, I think. Should, there's been some press releases on it. Should we like rename like the original making it? Should we do that? So like everything. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do like a little starburst in the corner like it's a box of cereal. Yeah. The original. The original. New recipe. Original recipe. Making it classic. <laughs> making it classic. I like that. So yeah, that's it. And in the show, I play the shop teacher. I'm like, I'm like a shop teacher. Actually, here's another funny story which I could share with my fans who support us and i'll tell you absolute truth so uh, when i signed the contract i didn't really I, I didn't even know what my title was i knew i wasn't a judge i knew i wasn't a contestant and so when i got there my my agent emails me he goes y- your title is master helper i'm like master helper that sounds like a little bit like something else master something else so i said i don't really want to be a master helper i said i'd rather be just my name don't don't you know helpers master helper is not a compliment and they said <laughs> You guys are like, your hands laughing at me. Oh, man. (laughs) So I said, I don't want to be master helper. I just want to be Jimmy, Jimmy the shop guy or call me Jimmy the shop teacher. And so I've, I've appealed to them because now that I see some PR coming out about the show, I said, please, I beg of you. I'm on my hands and knees. Just call me Jimmy DeResta from YouTube. We'll be assisting the makers in the shop. 
That's it. Or, or Jimmy DeRest, the maker, is going to be helping guys. I don't want to be the master helper. I said that is not a compliment. So I might be the master helper. And so especially after this podcast, everyone's going to read me calling me the master helper. But we'll see what the credits are. <laughs> if I even make the edit, if, if I even get through the editing process, we'll see what happens. I mean, somebody okay. else. Go ahead. I was just going to say, somebody out there, please pull the Hamburger Helper logo <laughs> and and change it to Master Helper and put Jimmy Duresta on there and tweet it. Is that the one with the little hand <laughs> yeah. face on it helping? Yeah. That could be my face. <laughs> so, like, yeah. not, not having done any TV, and I know there's really no way you could know this, too, but, like, is it a... An actual possibility they could they could completely cut you out of every episode of that show, or are you maybe really? <laughs> I mean, I, I it would be difficult, and, and I don't know why they would cut me out. Maybe because uh, I'm a loudmouth on the show. I was I was a bit snarky and a little bit complainy because the workshop wasn't really up to par. <laughs> so I kind of got a reputation of being a snarky pain in the butt. Uh, but I let that go soon enough because I realized, you know what, this isn't my production. This isn't my, the show isn't about me. So I just kept my mouth shut after like two episodes of complaining about the tool room. And uh, I, I, they could possibly cut me out. I, I, I don't think it's going to happen, but my role on the show is, is I am not the person, I am not the, the char- I'm not the lead character on the yeah. show. Absolutely. Yeah. Not. I'm like, you know, the show is about the contestants and. And uh, and Amy and Nick and the judges. And I'm a guy that helps them make sure that nobody gets injured in the shop. And also, like, for instance, when there was there was a couple of challenges where things had to be engineered. And if you're not an experienced engineer, you know, making a chair is easy for us because we've done it several times. But if you've never made a chair, making a chair is complicated. It has to be engineered properly. And if the judges are going to test them, you want to make sure nobody gets hurt on camera or falls or the chair doesn't collapse. So I, that's where I would step in. I would en- help them engineer stuff, simple stuff. But... If you've never made anything like complicated, and now because of this show, these contestants are being asked to do things a little bit outside their comfort zone because they want they want to you got to bring you got to like up the ante, you got to up the volume yeah. a little bit because this is a big TV show. So these people were stepping outside their comfort zone slightly, and nobody got injured, and everybody did a wonderful job. But I just was there also to make sure, like I'm like, hey, you know, if you do this over there, then you have a lot more strength, or if you use these screws instead of these nails, you'd end up with a lot more strength. So that technically, I was there to make sure nobody got hurt and everybody did a good job engineering and making the product that they needed to make. I was the shop teacher, not the master helper. Master helper. Was it fun? It was fun. It was a lot of fun. And I got to be in, if, if we shot a sequence, I'm in the opening credits with Nick, I think. And I worked with Nick a little bit. I hardly saw those guys. I mean, I did see them every day, but I hardly worked with them on camera. Hmm. They were busy in the main house doing the thing. And I was out in the workshop helping the people with the work. And once in a while per episode, they would wander around and come out to the shop and see what everybody was working on. So if the edit goes the way it seemed like it was being laid out, and, you know, we interact a little bit through each episode, but not a lot. I mean, enough for their, like, if they need time, they'll definitely cut my segment out because there's more important things than Nick and I flirting. <laughs> Seriously. I, <laughs> and, uh, go ahead. I was going to say, when it comes time um, t- for the show to, to air in January, I would like to do a show on just how a TV show works. And oh, sure. I just want to pick your brain, like how, you know, what, what starts, how do you start off the day? You know, how, how do they find people? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, there was a, apparently there was a very big and, and, and the more people I talk to behind the scenes, everyone's like, oh, I apply for that show. I apply for that show. I apply for that show. And it was funny, there was a lot of, there was also helpers on the show that actually were all either applied or, or auditioned for the show. And they ended up just coming and being on camera helpers, but they don't, they don't really have a, 
a credit as a, they don't have a title as their name, but they'll be considered like on camera help. Because it's like a, there was a lot of physical stuff that needed to happen, and because of safety and and expectations, they wanted everybody to not do everything themselves. So, you know, some people take a big bite at something and they needed somebody to help paint while they were busy doing something else. So there was a lot of helpers on the show, and I was the master helper. <laughs> <laughs> who gets a credit uh, that's, you should definitely do some new uh, business cards that say master helper on them it'd be awesome yeah, yeah. I'm gonna do, I started the YouTube channel master helper <laughs> and I'm just gonna be standing there handing people stuff you want this? Mm-hmm. you need this one? here's the blue nice. oh wait you should put the two inch nails in it now okay yeah that's good that's right <laughs> you should make the, put, put glue on that joint yep that's it that's better it should be it should be an audio only <laughs> YouTube channel too because I think the audio only aspect of it really works. <laughs> yeah. Are you sure you want to put that like that? Maybe hmm. you should put that on the other side. Oh, that's better. That's good. <laughs> Before we get distracted, right. what were we yes. really going to talk about? <laughs> we're really going to talk about is what tools should you buy if you're going to get started in woodworking. I'm going to throw it to you first, Bob. Oh, man. If you're going to buy two tools, what are the first two tools you're going to buy? I'm not going to answer it that way. <coughs> Crap. <laughs> well, okay, so th- this this is one of those things, like you said, we've not covered this, because this comes up, like, weekly at, for all of us, like, all the time, at least. You know, I mean, it's when people get started, this is a question that a lot of people have, right? So, um, as a way to try to have like a central answer for this. I wrote an article on my website about this uh, maybe a year ago or something. And it was basically just, you can, I'll put a link to it in the show notes if you want to check it out. But basically what I was saying is there's no right or wrong. There's no, these are the three tools you need to start with because I think it really depends on what you want to make. And for me, at least the way that I learn things, new skills, the best is to figure out a project and then learn the skills that I need to accomplish that project and same goes for tools. Like, just buy a tool to accomplish a project that you something that you really want to do. Um, because if you go to the store, and a lot of people do this, you go to the store and you're like, "All right, I got tool money. I'm going to get a table saw and a jigsaw and a scroll saw and a whatever." And then you come home and you're like, "Okay, what am I going to make?" And you're like, "I'm going to make a motorcycle." Well, you can't make a motorcycle with any of those tools. So it makes more sense to figure out what tools you need to accomplish the project that you want. Um, so that's kind of the way I went about it, rather than having a concrete, you know, set of tools. I mean, mm-hmm. I think if you just want to be really general, I think personally a circular saw is probably the first saw that I would buy, um, <clears throat> just because I think it's a good kind of middle ground of, it can do a lot of stuff, it can't do everything, but it can do a lot, and is a good crossover between a table saw and a jigsaw and a miter saw. It can do a lot of that same stuff at the same time. Like that in a, a drill can get you pretty far. But that's my opinion. What do you think, Jimmy? Um, now, are we talking like classic woodwork or or should I say more traditional? It's a good question. Are we talking about hmm. like, you know, no electric tool work or are we looking just getting started in the shop? Uh, so are we talking like... You know, woodworking for mere mortals or, you know, hand school tool. This is why we can't answer the question. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Depends on how you're coming at it. I mean, I would think that if you want to do like hand tool woodworking, there's probably a very specific set of 
I mean, I guess the same thing applies, though, right? Depending on what you're making, you're going to want different stuff. I don't know. I'm not well, a hand tool oh, person. I, I, I can't have an answer that. for both. I would say, I would say, get a bandsaw, of course, because I think a bandsaw you could do a lot with. You can make straight cuts, curve cuts. You can resaw wood, and that. So if you get a bandsaw, and you could buy big pieces of, you can get pieces of plywood. You could order them online, or you can get them from Home Depot now, where they're cut into smaller pieces. So you can get it big enough to manage it to to break it down on the bandsaw. Or a circular saw with a track saw. Absolutely is a necessity. I think a track saw, if you can't afford a table saw. There's so much you can do with just a track saw. And there's a lot of track saws out there now. And there's lots of kits to turn a traditional circular saw into a track saw. And there's ways of doing it where you don't even need to buy anything. You can just use some wood and, and engineer it accurately. You can make your own track saw out of an old skill saw or circular saw. Um, and if you're going to just do basic can tools, I think you need you need... Maybe a pull saw, like a kind of a Japanese style pull saw, because they cut so beautifully, and and a hand plane, a good low angle block plane, and hand planes are something is like a whole category guys get into. I, I buy planes. I don't even do that much type of woodwork, but every once in a while, I'm like, oh, I'm glad I have this plane because this is a perfect opportunity to use my my rabbit shoulder plane or whatever it might be. And so you could just use like a simple low angle block plane, like a two inch wide plane. Yet you can even just get one at a flea market and fix it up and. They all work the same. It's just a matter of having a sharp blade. As long as it's in the shoe right and it's sharp, sharp and well enough, you can really get a lot of miles out of it. And then once you get into using a hand plane, you start dealing with the how the chip breaker works and the angles. And if you want your blade to go as wide as the shoe, so you can get right inside the corner of something or whatever it is you're going to be doing. Those are all details that come in as you get more experience. But I would say bandsaw, a flat track saw, a hand plane, and... Then that little pull saw. With that, you could pretty much do a lot. And then, then you're not ultimately going to need like a little set of chisels. I, and that's it. I think if you um, – a very general woodworking, what most people think of woodworking is uh, if you are low budget, a circular saw, a drill, and a jigsaw. So you can do straight cuts, you can do curve cuts, and you can drill holes. And then you're going to need clamps. If you have a little bit of a bigger budget, your general tools, you would upgrade that circular saw to a table saw. You would upgrade that jigsaw to a bandsaw. You would upgrade that drill to a drill press and more clamps. Just keep adding on to your clamp collection. What do you call it? Clamp champ. Yes. Got to be a clamp champ. Yeah. You know, I told, I don't know where I said this, but I said it before, but you know, my clamp, my theory on clamps, every time you go to Home Depot and you spend over a hundred dollars, buy a $20 clamp, <laughs> just throw it in, throw, throw it in your basket. Every time you go to Home Depot, <laughs> if you're going to buy like, you know, if you're buying products for a client or if you're buying products for the house or you're doing house renovation, throw in one or two clamps into the basket. And then eventually, cause they're only like, it depends on which one you buy, but they're anywhere between 10 to 20 bucks. If you're buying this good screw clamps, the old Jorgensen screw clamps and before long, you have a giant pile of clamps and you don't know what to do with them. So you end up with a lot of clamps and you always need them. There's always going to be that one glue up where you use every clamp in your shop and you wish you had two more or three more. Yeah. So yeah. always throw one in your basket at Home Depot one at a time. And that's how it's like the Johnny Cash song, one one piece at a time where he stole the Cadillac from the factory. Yes. It's a good how, song. That's how, you, that's how you steal every clamp from Home Depot. You just buy them one at a time. You buy them. Let's let's be really clear. You yeah. don't steal them from Home Depot. You buy them from Home Depot one at a time, right? One at a time. One, at a time. one piece at a time. Yeah. Then that's not a good of a song. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, what, total- you know what you do when I was not me, but somebody like me, somebody that I know from my childhood. You put it in the bottom of the shopping cart, and when you walk out with it, 
if the ring thing goes off, you go, oh, I forgot it was there. And if it oh, doesn't go... Oh, man. Bad idea. <laughs> then bleep my whole sentence. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's, let's take it a step further. Petruda just made a note to edit that out. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm leaving it in there. I'm leaving it in there. You know, we'll, we'll hold the NBC making it liable for any, oh. any kind of issues there. Don't steal anything. That was a joke. I did that. Yes, of course. Be good, people. Be good. Uh, so what are so once you get some of these basic tools and you're building typical woodworking projects, boxes, uh, chest of drawers, little tables and stuff, what are some tools that you find to be a luxury item but make life easier? Dado blades or mm. dado sets. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, anybody anybody that doesn't know what I'm talking about, it's a dado set is multiple blades and some spacers that you put in, in a table saw. And I guess you could. They probably make them for circular saws too, right? I guess. Ooh, I don't no. know. No? Yeah. No, they don't. Okay. That would be too dangerous. Too much bite. That's a great invention, ah. though. You just yeah. invented something really cool. Um, dangerous. <laughs> something dangerous that they don't sell for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, you, you put these in the table saw, and it cuts instead of an eighth and an eighth inch or regular curve for a single blade, it cuts a wider slot. And so you can do that with a normal blade. It just takes longer. You have to do multiple passes, and it's a little bit harder to get it exactly if you need a very specific size slot. So a set of dado blades uh, can be kind of expensive sometimes, but you know you can get it down to a really fine, perfectly sized slot. And if, especially if you're making shelves or something like that, that can save you a lot of time, a whole lot of time. Yeah. I was, I would say, if you have a table saw, a miter saw isn't necessary. But it does make life easier because you'll find yourself going back and forth where one you can do cross cuts and one you can do rip cuts. But you can do yeah. both on a table saw. So I, for me, the, the miter saw is a luxury item that speeds things up. Hmm. Well, now you say miter saw. My, my old school self thinks of a chop saw. That's what you mean. A, yeah. a compound sliding miter saw. You, yeah, yeah. Because as a kid, those are all called chop saws. I kind of vaguely remember when they became more popular than ever before. And I remember my, my father and my uncle, they bought a Stanley miter box that had bearings on it so that the back saw, which yeah. is a saw with a big rib on the back, can be held in place by the bearings. And, and it had like a thing. So when you pick it up, the steel frame would kind of keep the saw guided at whatever angle you place to that. Hmm. I remember my dad and my uncle buying those, my dad and his brother. Both bought those, and that was like the big purchase in like 1977. Like that was like, <laughs> wow! Look at the, can you believe the technology now? You don't have to make your own little wooden miter box and hand slice <laughs> the thing, and then hand slice one at 45, and then one at 90. They bought this thing, this whole big metal contraption, hmm. and it, you just put the back saw in it, and you, you do it all by hand. And then I remember shortly thereafter, I guess a few years later, then these chop saws started coming out and we still have one in the back no guard on it it's all rusty it looks like something from like 19 1980 maybe as far as like the styling goes but maybe a makita i don't know i forget what the name is but then those became more and more popular i remember a lot of guys growing up would be like they're saving up to get themselves a chop saw hmm. the chop saw is misleading a lot of people think you know, i i still call it a chop saw because that's what i remember calling it but they think it's like cutting sushi. Like you got to slam the thing down. Like you're going to like literally chop a piece of wood. You're not, you're cutting a piece of wood, but that name is misleading. And I always say, don't chop like you're chopping a cleaver. You got to pull it down slowly, of course. So, Let's see. Bob, luxury past that. Sorry, go ahead. 
Uh, well, I was going to say, you know, Bob said come up with a project first and then buy the tools to complete that project. Some, sometimes people are just looking for a hobby and they, 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 they or they acquire tools. Mm-hmm. They inherit tools or, or they got a pile of tools and they want to make stuff. Some of the first things that I suggest making is shop furniture. Make stands for your tools uh, and you need a workbench. That's really mm-hmm. important. So those are good good pieces to practice on and slap together. Doesn't have to look pretty; just needs to be functional. I think it, the workbench thing has come up a few times recently in comments on like Facebook and stuff. I've seen people talking about like, "Oh, it's a great project. Just make yourself a workbench," and then they post this picture of this like beautiful, a uh, fine woodworking bench. You know that takes a huge amount of time and accuracy to make with these big mocks and vices on the side and all this stuff. That's certainly an option, but. Don't see that as your only workbench option, because <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, I, if I had started and seen that, and then like, I'm not making a workbench. What are you crazy? Um, the way I make my workbenches is a two by four frame with like MDF on top, and it's simple, it's ugly, but they're sturdy, and I can make one today and then make a different one in a month and not feel bad about the time that I put into them. You know, if I destroy it or I need another a second one or something. So you have a bunch of options when David says make a workbench as a project, don't take that as a fine wood, woodworking workbench unless that's something that you're interested in, you know, because there's a big range there, I guess. But yeah, shop furniture is a great idea. Um, you also have just, you know, I tell people to go around their house and look for stuff that they wish was better. Mm-hmm. Sometimes sometimes you just need a place to hang your coat, you know, and like one of the first woodworking projects I made when I was getting started towards, I like to make stuff like I'd done woodworking in the past, but after I'd been out of it for a while and I came back and I was like, I need something just practical, just, you know, something useful. And I made a a little coat tree to put by our front door to hang our jackets on. And it took an afternoon and we had it in the house for probably seven years or something until we moved. I gave it away, but it was a super simple project, but it was really practical and really useful. And it was a great way to like get a good confidence boost, you know, right? You do a project and then it's like always there. You can see it working, see the investment was was well worth it. So Jimmy, you since you've been making things all your life, can you remember your first like real woodworking or fine woodworking? I'm using air quotes. Project? Yep. Uh I, I talked about this before. I just found it the other day. When I was a kid, my dad kind of guided me through the the build of this little seahorse that I cut out on the jigsaw and then we had a rotary tool which is the equivalent of a dremel tool but it was made by sears and I used the the big bar to scallop out what became the the little raised sections on the on the scales of the seahorse I was about eight or nine when I made that so I was about eight and that was like the first time I realized wow this is pretty cool like I look back and I'm like I made that that's right I made that (laughs) all the other girls in kindergarten is like I made that yeah (laughs) <laughs> no, you know, I and I always say, you know, you want to build something with it. Like the next morning, you're like anxious to go and look at it. You're like, wow, look at that. I made that. <laughs> yeah. And I got that feeling. That was the first time I remember getting that feeling. I was like, wow, look at that. I just did that. Holy, holy, I made that. And then my dad, my dad helped me. He burned it. He it was the very first time. It was my very first woodworking project. I burned the wood to raise the grain. Because my dad learned that from some woodworker at the time, and he was doing it to everything. And we burned yeah. it, and then you give it a light wire brush, and the grain gets raised. And the funny thing is, is I, I can't spell, and neither can my dad. But 
my dad had made a sign with a router for some of the guys at the firehouse and he misspelled something. So that piece of wood became scrap and I made the seahorse on the other side. So when you look at the back of the seahorse, it's got, it's got like letters through it. You can't really tell what it says because it's like a real cropped up version of whatever that said. It says fry fry house instead of fire. (laughs) It says something wrong. And uh, so that's, it's funny. Taylor's at the house today. I'll ask her to send me a picture of it because I know exactly where it is. Nice. And the back too is funny. But yeah, and, and that, and then um, my dad just, we, my dad was really good at finding the pictures that are in the grid in the back of Popular Mechanics. And he would draw those, he'd draw on a little one inch grid and then draw it out of the magazine. So he would give me things to, to cut out on the jigsaw. And that's what I would cut out on it. I call it a jigsaw, but now it's called a scroll saw. And then ultimately he let me use the bandsaw. And that's how I started using the bandsaw. Hmm. But as far as like assembling things, I, I was always making things with hot glue when I was real little. So my dad would always help me with parts and I glue them together with hot glue. Because at the time we didn't really have nail guns when I was real little. It was you tap things together with a little hammer and nail. Hmm. Glue it together and tap it together. It wasn't until I guess I was like a teenager that I started paying attention to nail guns because my dad started getting them. And I learned all my I learned through the firehouse. My dad would get all because all the firemen were all woodworkers on the side. And they were always sharing tools. So like I would, my dad would show up with like a, a, a nail gun and a compressor and be like, this doesn't belong to me, but check this out. This is cool. And then they would trade it. And then he'd build up his arsenal and then he'd buy his own version. So we're, they were always getting to like compare and try out tools, him and all the other firemen he worked with. So it was, it was, like a, it was almost like the precursor to the maker community where it's like, oh, look what so-and-so's got. Maybe yeah. I should get one of those. That's, that's an interesting thought. I never really thought about that before that, you know, my perception of – Power tools is based on what my dad had when I was old enough to pay attention to what he had. But, like, I'd never even thought about when pneumatic nail guns were first introduced. That's interesting. They've always been I mean, they've been around because I got some that are from, like, the 60s. But it was obviously much more of an industrialized product. It was, it was like, at a yeah. shoe factory or at a furniture factory. But the ones that became available to the average carpenter – as far as I could remember, or at least maybe it's just my own attention, didn't really come into my personal attention until you know the mid '80s. I guess uh-huh. I was like in high school. I mean, they definitely were not pneumatic guns at at my high school. Yeah, absolutely not. There was a compressor, and that was to like run air tools for the car. There was a, there was a car shop at my high school. Right. It's interesting to think about though. Like even you know stuff that we take for granted, like circular saw. Obviously, they've been around for a while. Or the jigsaw. But at some point, those were brand new tools. And in my mind, those are just kind of like, as long as there have been power tools, there have been jigsaws. You know what I mean? I just you want to hear something funny. It just happened this afternoon. Uh, Kyle, Kyle's here, and he's like, he goes, he goes, dude, I forgot one thing. He goes, we usually don't use it unless we're, do, we're doing a demo or redoing work, which I hardly ever do. He said, do you have a sawzall? I'm like, oh, yeah, I got a sawzall. So we went out to my garage, and I pulled one off the wall, and I handed it. He goes, dude, this has got a cord on it. Do you have like one that takes a battery? <laughs> I go, oh yeah. I like, you know, I should have had a V8. I'm like, of course I do. <laughs> but when you say you have a sawzall, I just think of this old school sawzall, which I used to use because it was the one I would always go to. It's called a Porter cable with a called a cat's paw, if anybody knows which one that one's from hmm. it's from the, the 90s. And and, and I go, oh, of course I got I got the 60 volt. I forgot it was like right on the other side of the room, so I gave him that instead. It's funny how my mind thinks because I'm an old man. So I'm like, oh, let me just get the one I learned on. Fun fact. Sawsaw yeah. is ex- actually a, um, I believe it's a Milwaukee tools term. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a Band-Aid, yeah. 
Yeah, uh, because I did a Dewalt video a year and a half ago, and I said Sawzall when I should have said reciprocating saw, and uh, it didn't. Nobody caught it at first, and then the uh, the agency I was working with was like, "Oh my goodness, we have a disaster here. We need to fix this." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there's a bunch of things like that. I mean, like even skill saw, people use that for circular saw, but it's yeah. it's a brand name, you know. There's a lot of this. Well, okay. Any other, um, any other like getting started woodworking essentials? I mean, mm. obviously measuring tape. I think a mm. speed square is really handy, and it's like four, mm. four or five bucks. But it's one of those things that's just really handy to have around. Um, anything else like that that somebody would want to just you know if somebody had a hundred bucks to pick up a bunch of little things at the store? Combination squares. I use my combination square in almost every single project. I have the little six inch one, and then the twelve inch one. Mm-hmm. And that has a 45 degree and a 90 degree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And some combination squares also have the thing for centering a circle on the end of a dowel rod, for instance. Hmm. Sometimes you have the combination square where it's got the 90, the 45, and then on the other end of it, it's got the exactly 45 perpendicular to the center line of a circle. That's how I have the three combination squares, and I always buy that extra part and slide it on the end so it's on either. If I don't need it, I pull it off and then put it back so it's always with it. Hmm. <clears throat> um. What else could you get? A snap line is always really important, especially if you're going to be doing some long, straight things. Snap line always helps. Or you could use a snap line if you're going to lay down. If you're making, let's say you're making a shelf and you're going to put a back on that shelf and you need to put a bunch of lines so you know that when you nail the back of the shelf on, you're going to nail it into the shelves, the several different shelves. You could use a chalk line to snap so you know that you can make a, a guide to give you where you're going to nail your or screw your screws to keep the back on. Of course, the outside edge, you know where all that is, but you need to mark where the back of the, each shelf is going to be if you're going to use that as support for the shelves. That's a, and that's a, a, Just to bring it up since I'm talking about it, it's an important part of any shelf build is that you put the back on because it gives the shelves tremendous strength from sagging mm-hmm. Yeah. if you nail into each one of those shelves. That's why it's important. And the chalk line, you can make a line, a really long line. Yeah. And it's it's super handy. I mean... Like, that's one of those things I think of, like, I wouldn't have thought to use it for shelves. That's genius. I think of that more as a, uh, if you're doing home renovation or if you're laying something out on the ground, you know, like, I used it a lot when I was doing the hardwood flooring to get a straight line, like, offset from the wall. So if I needed three-eighths off of the wall, all the way along the wall, the chalk line was really handy for that. So You know, it's also extremely handy, and I always, I, I what I do in my, my workflow is, I don't do, obviously, as many installations as I used to, but between Welder and I, when I was doing heavy stuff, Welder was my biggest asset, helping me remember things, and we worked together. We had the little Klein zipper bags that you get from Home Depot. You get three or four of them in the Klein zipper bag. You get the, you buy, that comes yellow, blue, red, and green. You get four of them in a package. They're a little expensive, but they're good because I have tons of them and one of them just has chisels in it one of them just has screwdrivers in it because we go on the road and we have one that just has string lines and level bulbs level bulbs Mm. little level spirit levels so it's of course nowadays everyone just uses a laser level which is did you ever try using a laser level it's yeah really pain in the ass is it is it just me Mm, i've never used one actually they they work fine for me yeah, well, <laughs> old man Jimmy Two Shows. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, the funniest thing is, I'm going to tell you one thing. The, part of the reason I would get a little frustrated on the show is because 
I wasn't the tool person. I showed up and there was a shop full of tools, most of them useless. And there was a drawer. They had like, every time I said, oh, can we get some? They'd bring over more of these little cubes that had a laser level. There was 25 laser level cubes on. I don't want to say the brand. There's like 25 laser level cubes on set. And there wasn't one reason to level anything throughout the entire season. <laughs> they kept showing up. And I actually took one with me to experiment with in the hotel room. I didn't even know how to use it. But <laughs> instead of dealing with a laser level that has bad batteries and doesn't really give you the level outside of three feet, because the, the laser level light blops off, get a string. Just use a string and the little spirit level thing that hooks on the string. Yeah. And so to get straight lines in a room, it's perfect if you're going to be in a gallery space laying out a bunch, or in your own home and you're going to lay out a bunch of pictures across a wall, lay out a string. Just tape it at one end of the room, drag it across the wall and tape it level at the other end of the room. And now you have a perfect straight line that you can use as a guide. Hmm. Brilliant. Yeah. Power of the string. Invented <laughs> by the Egyptians. The power of the string. No. No brand name. <laughs> All right. You guys got anything else for we, getting started? We could go on forever and ever. I mean, yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's one a of good the razor blade. Razor, yeah. A knife's a good thing to have. Uh, it, yeah, there's like an infinite number of stuff. You can always have another thing that gives you a little bit more, you know, capability to do some other thing. But it really comes down to what you need done. And that's different for every person. It's different pretty much for every project. It's just a hard thing to answer, which is why we don't try to answer it too often. <laughs> and now we'll just direct people to this episode. Yeah. Here's the place where we didn't answer it very well. Go to this episode 141 <laughs> of making it. Cool. Well, uh, what have you guys been watching? Anything new? All right. So we, we both got to go to our history. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At least me. As we uh, go to me history. We got an email from Kayla, and she's like, my boyfriend made me this engagement ring. And this video is incredible. Like he made, like I made a very simple wooden ring. It took a day. He made the mold to pour the metal into, to hold the stone, to do like this. It's a really well done video and Kayla should be very happy with, with what came out of it. It was, it's really awesome. Beautiful. Awesome. Well done video as well. Sweet. Cool. Jimmy, what you got? Oh, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about somebody I've already talked about. And it's because I, I think he did an extremely amazing job. I'm going to talk about my buddy, Brett. Brett's been sharing the shop with me. Brett did a video where he took, he went and he bought, he bought a, uh, a splitter, like a chunk of steel. You, you hammer into a log to split the log. I didn't talk about this. Did I last week? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, he bought, a wedge, a steel wedge. And he I, I, he did most of this while I was in California. And he brought it to my house, used my forge in the backyard, and drifted a hole, which basically means you heated up the steel and punctured a hole through it. You drifted the hole. He turned that into like sort of a bearded like Viking axe, Viking hatchet. He did such an incredible job. And he then he did a grind on it. So he, he took this piece of steel, dragged it out, put a dragged it out, kind of drooped it down, turned it into a hatchet head, and then made the handle for it and did all this stuff. And he's part of uh, Rory May, Rory May Dirty Smith. He's doing a zombie challenge. So if you go and check out Rory's hashtags and 
you'll see how to enter the zombie challenge. And Brett entered the, the zombie weapon challenge, Rory May's. So check out Rory May and check out Brett's, his name of his channel is Skull and Spades. I'll, I'll give you guys a link. And that, the reason I'm so impressed with it is because when he first met me, he had never really done any blacksmithing. We together went to a blacksmithing out, outing and that was the first time I ever really done any, maybe his second or third time. But now he jumps to this and he did a, a, an incredible amount of work and he did it well. So hmm. go check out Brett's Bearded. I don't know exactly what the name of it is. I'll find it now and send it. That's awesome. But it's the, one of the last videos he did if you guys haven't seen it. I've been watching um, – speaking of blacksmithing, I've been watching so much Alex Steele lately that I'm just hmm. I'm just like chomping at the bit to try it. It looks – I mean he makes everything fun. He, it just looks like it's a blast because of his personality. Um, but just from watching him turn just – blocks of steel into really awesome stuff it's, yep. just, it's just super interesting and i don't really have the infrastructure like i don't have a place to do it i don't have a forge i don't have any of the stuff that i need for it yet but um yeah it's i'm definitely interested so i'm looking forward to seeing that video from brett brett's calling it the mummy the mummy brett brett's i'm sorry the mummy best sets claw Could, brett he's doing a series of monster builds leading up to Halloween, and this is the mummy. He did Franken Table. He did the mummy. Is this one I'm talking about? Oh, awesome! But in it, and now he's doing one for uh, for vampires. He's working on it right now. And uh, sorry, he's working on it right now, and it's coming out really cool. He's doing uh, like a, a vampire case. Sweet. So. Well, mine is is very different. Um, <clears throat> so some friends of mine. A while. I mean, this is a my friend Dave. He's been a friend of mine for years and years and years and years. And he's extremely talented. He's the guy that did the artwork for the side of my arcade machine. So it's like mm -hmm. of all of our family. It's an amazing illustration. Um, he makes video games for a living. And he and his wife recently, well, actually about a year ago, started talking about this idea for a YouTube channel. They've launched it since then. And um, it's done okay. They haven't gotten the traction that I think they need. But they also came to my house this past weekend to hang out. And so... I, I can't really explain it. Let me go back. So they started a YouTube channel as puppets. And so they do, they made their own puppets and then they do video game playthroughs, but then they make it so that it looks like the puppets are playing the video games and they do commentary <laughs> over the video game as puppets. And so they, the people are never on screen. <laughs> so they do these let's plays and they're really funny. And um, then they're, they're kind of like in an off season right now. So he's been doing these like vlog type videos where he's holding the phone, but he's also holding the puppet in the other hand. So it looks like the puppets holding the phone, like going around doing like a selfie vlog style thing. And Dave is just super funny. He makes all sorts of jokes all the time. And he's really good at like coming up with stuff right off the top of his head. So he's done a couple of these and they're really good. And they were at our house and he was like, Hey, do you mind if I go down and like do a, a little vlog from your shop? And so <clears throat> he came down and was like going around the shops, you know, acting like he knew what all the tools were. And he was just coming up with really funny names for them. And, and so he's going through the shop and you see all these tools and he's talking about what this one that's, does this. And, um, and then we put a little bit at the end where I walk in to the shop and he hops behind something and he's like, just shh, everybody be quiet. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, is there somebody in here? So we, anyway, we played it pretty, pretty well. It turned out good. And then he, um, he came on my live stream the other day on Twitch as the puppet. So I'm talking to the camera and all of a sudden this puppet pops up next to me. And then we had a, 
like, I don't know, 30 minute conversation or something. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was great. What is the name? I'm looking so the, the right channel now. is called the oddlings and I'll put a link to it. Um, and uh, we got them like through our live stream. We had all the live stream people subscribe and they got to a hundred sub- subscribers. So they're a pretty small channel, but he's just hilarious. They have a good, really good time doing it. So go check them out. Got another one. Nice. 128. Oh, I see there's like a table saw and the puppet. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll, I'll link to the one where he was in my shop cause it was pretty funny, but yeah, go check them out. Um, before we go, you got to thank our Patreon supporters, as always. Yes. Awesome. Um, especially our top supporters, Wise Old Dal, Evan and Caitlin, Corey Ward, Malton Make, A Glimpse Inside, Works by Solo, Torbal Terry, a new one this week, Freeman Furnishings, and Make, Build, Modify. Uh, so thank you to you guys and to everybody else that supports us over there. It means a ton. Awesome. It means a lot. Um, yeah, and if you, if you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash making it. The real making it <coughs> and uh not to nbc <laughs> not to nbc.com slash making it which i i don't know if that's right or not but go to patreon.com slash making it and help us out there and you get to listen to the after show which is more of us talking and if you yeah. don't want to do patreon i always forget to say this um you can just share the show that's really helpful to get more people listening to let people know that we are the original making it show that nobody can replace us <laughs> Just share the show around and all that stuff. So Bob said that, by the way. It was Bob Claggett. That was not Jimmy DeResta. He was a participant on the show. They can't do anything to me. I'm just kidding. No. I'm excited to see your show, man. I'm looking forward to it. I am too. You know, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to have a viewing party here in my new shop in January. So to be like me, um, so some local friends, uh, I'll have them over and we'll watch the show in my shop. Nice. Remind me, remind me when you do that, I'll hide under my bed. <laughs> <laughs> and you're both invited, by the way. Sweet. I'll bring my bed. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Cool. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. And see you next week. Later. I love stuff. <laughs> you love the original making it. <laughs>